Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is one of my good friends uh, and a New York City-based actress slash singer, Kimberly (laughs) Abrams. Yay. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good, Kim. And you? I'm doing, you know, as well as can be expected in in the time of Corona. Oh, yeah. Miss Rona is still here. Mm-hmm, oh, that is. was a that was a beep. <laughs> oh yes, I know. I have my heater on actually right next to me because I'm turning it off right now, so she's not that loud. Maybe because my apartment it here is is of course freezing as it is freezing uh, in in New York right now. Yes, it's it's always freezing in New York. <laughs> I know this has been particularly bad. But he, we're here to talk about burlesque. The- yeah. The, uh, you picked this movie and I'm so happy you did. <laughs> I am, John, I cannot even express how excited I am to deep dive into this classic film with you. <laughs> that came out 11 years ago. <laughs> Don't even play me like that. <laughs> well, no, 11 no. years ago. So yeah, it came out in 2010. It's written and directed by Stephen Anton. Um, so actually, fun fact about that, uh, which when I was, you know, uh, refreshing my memory on on everything burlesque, um, I fell down like a trivia rabbit hole. Everyone and uh, Steve, Steve Anton, this is actually a really interesting story. Steve Anton, who directed this movie, is brothers to uh, Robin Anton. And Robin Anton is the creator of the Pussycat Dolls. <sighs> So she created like the original Pussycat Dolls show in Vegas before they became like the Pussycat Dolls pop group that we know and love today. And she, I think she was even in the Pussycat Dolls. She definitely was. And then, you know, um, some iteration of it. Yes. Yes. And uh, her brother, um, I guess one day, like went to see one of the shows and Christina Aguilera star of movie burlesque was front, like was, what do you call it? Headlining one of the Pussycat Dolls shows as like, you know, a special guest or something. And that became the whole inspiration for the movie Burlesque. Oh, that's love, interesting. We love a good trivia moment. So this movie, according to IMDb, a small town girl ventures to Los Angeles and finds her place in a neo-burlesque club run by a former <laughs> dancer. The one thing that I have a question before I ask you why you picked this, what is the name of the club? Do they ever say it? I no. I, you know what? I literally just think it's it's burlesque like lounge. A burlesque lounge. It's just the lounge. <laughs> it's it's shares club. That's it's it. Share. <laughs> so when I when I told you about this podcast, you were just like burlesque. Was there? Uh, that was the enthusiasm in which I used. <laughs> yes, burlesque. <laughs> Why did you go to this one out of all of the musical works? The possible musical musical works out there. Uh, I think mostly because I had just watched it for (laughs) my room my roommate's birthday. Uh, We did a like a pandemic 
movie viewing through uh what's the app called netflix party like a few just a few a few months ago um him and another one of our friends uh got together and we all just like watched this movie through netflix party and i it just brought back this rush of memories and like the thrill of just how iconic this movie is i mean it it really is just like you really can't get much better i mean this movie really encompasses kind of everything i'd ever want in a movie so it's so good i mean i when you when you first pitched it i was just like oh fine whatever and then i (laughs) rewatched and then i rewatched it and i was just like Actually, this is like a really good movie that I need to remember. Yeah, in in 2010 when it came out, I remember, I'm pretty sure it panned. As like most Uh, movies that go on to become iconic end up like usually failing when they first come out. Even like, I think Rocky Horror failed like when it first came out. Miserably, yes. Yes, and then it over time people... It's it like a, a cult classic. Yeah. Yes, it, it becomes like a flower blooming, and now all of a sudden everybody just sees it for you know its beauty, and that's burlesque for sure. So um, I don't know how well you remember your theater history, but I had a I oh, wanted no. to look up <laughs> I wanted to look up what the actual burlesque meant, like you know the 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 uh, the history form, of the history of it, yeah, burlesque. It started as a form of parody and mockery in the 16th century. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if I had ever done a deep dive into, you know, burlesque as an art form. I really appreciated, though, you know, there's a montage in the movie where Christina Aguilera is just like trying to absorb everything burlesque. And so she buys a million like books on the art and the history of uh, I, burlesque. <laughs> I counted seven different montages in this I know. movie. <laughs> it is so. It's true. I mean, how else are you going to get a point across that she's really, really trying? She's really, really trying to get ahead. I definitely saw a lot of like cabaret influence. The movie, the movie and show cabaret. Oh would, yeah. Would you also agree that there's a little bit Chicago in there? Oh, I mean, it's. I think it's the triumvirate of obviously cabaret which you see in the casting of um alan cumming like they just it, doesn't it seem like they just threw him in there as like an afterthought i mean i think it's so weird that he's there for just like he has like an under five in this movie pretty much like he's in like two scenes and then he does it he does two ladies basically but without yes. do it without singing two ladies and you can tell it was just because in order for him to do this movie it had to be, be con- it was like a contractual obligation to have to just like give him a song which was like also you know an afterthought <laughs> in a lot of ways but i definitely see cabaret um and i see definitely chicago like the renee zellweger um catherine zeta jones movie for sure and then i don't know if you saw this or if you are familiar with the movie showgirls at all with Elizabeth yes. Berkeley. But there's there's a lot of moments in this movie that also hearken to Showgirls, which is another one of my desperately favorite movies of all time. <laughs> You're really a gay man in disguise, aren't you? <laughs> I, and, as, and as we know, all of these movies were created exclusively for the gays. So yes. thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. So I counted... <laughs> There are three songs that are lip synced, 10 songs that are sung, and then there's like seven songs that are just like underscoring, but 
there. Like the song called Jungle Berlin is what Two Ladies is. Yes. But then, you know, you get wet. Wagon wheel Matusi. Which is so funny that you just said that because uh, Michael, my roommate, also uh, says that that's one of his like favorite things to say to me. Wagon wheel Matusi. I'm I'm not a Sharon impersonator by any means, but obviously you have to shout it out whenever it happens. Yes. Um, a, la, a la Rocky Horror. Just uh, wagon wheel. Wagon wheel Matusi. <laughs> With the songs that are sung, there are, there's like four or five songs that are original, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Think about it. There's, there's a also just, I think even more strange or, or oddly enough, there's, it's like a strange mix of these original songs with like two or three totally random, like nineties, early, early 2000s songs, like Ray of Light Ray of by Light. Madonna. They just like <laughs> threw that in there, like for some reason. And it, it, I just, it's nonsense why it's there. And, uh, but I, I just love so much that, that all of those songs are just kind of like mixed together. Well, there's one song I want to talk about real quick and it's, but I am a good girl. The one that she sings. <laughs> yes because the writing credit for that one is uh there's three men one of them is writer director steven anton another Mm -hmm. one is alan i'm really bad with names and this is going to be interesting (laughs) bernard bernardini who i couldn't really find anything about him but Mm -hmm. the one that is very interesting to me is jacques morelli now i don't know if you've ever heard that name before I don't ever. think so. Jacques Morelli formed the village people. Get out of here. No, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. He did. <laughs> That's an amazing trivia fact. I had so, no idea. The, but like, it's weird that they credit him for that because he died in 91. So I don't know if they are crediting it because he also wrote for the village people as well as other hmm. artists in the 70s and 80s. I, could, I couldn't hear any influences with that song. I wonder if it if it was a song. I mean, I'm sure we'd have to do like an even deeper uh, deep dive into it. But I wonder if it was a uh, not like a re- rejected song, but like a you know either like a lesser known village people song or like a B track you know song that was like never released that they just decided to use for this movie. That's a possibility, I suppose. Or, they, or they're just sampling the music from another song. That that's that's probably the case too because you, when you Look when you look at songs and they're like, there's seven writers for this one song it's mm-hmm. because they sample music written by these three people and those and blah blah blah. So oh, maybe yeah. that was the case. That's true too, but it didn't. It sounds the song sounded like it was written in another time. It definitely didn't. You know, for example, like you have, um, you know, Cher who sings uh, her iconic song. Uh, what the what was it? You haven't seen the last of me, which um, was which sounds like written for the movie yes yes and it sounds like it was written for the movie do you know what i mean versus i'm but i am a good girl which sounds like it was taken from something else which sounds like something's got a hold on me where you know that that's another that's a real song in the world and Mm -hmm. like our world (laughs) the real world Mm -hmm. um that they're covering so i had it I had to do a, di- a little bit of a dive on that one because I was just like, this is interesting that I can't find any writing credits 
My sources usually are Wikipedia and IMDb when it comes to things like this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, naturally. And we don't go any further than that. No. That's it. So, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't a hyperlink for it on Wikipedia, which was very fascinating. So there wasn't an article for on that song itself. It, it definitely I, makes you think how many hands have exchanged this song over like i'm sure there's a list of like 20 people who you know were involved in creating some of these songs well there was a song that was cut (gasps) from the movie so it was nasty written by CeeLo green and what so it was originally for christina aguilera she recorded it but it was cut due to legal issues they couldn't clear again they couldn't clear some of the sampling or whatever Um, but there's an artist called pixie lot who was able to release it in 2014 but extina's uh version is was leaked online so you can you can listen to it on youtube if you want (laughs) oh wink wink oh my gosh i'm really gonna have to go there i'm sure that you know uh my michael my roommate he probably knew that and i'm sure i think i have the dvd somewhere and you know i wonder if that's like a special cut in the dvd like you can watch like a behind the scenes um you know i'll have to find it somewhere but that would be something i'd want to hear for sure (laughs) what did you think what do you think of this movie i know you love it but like how did you come across it John, I have so many thoughts on this movie. I, I really, really do. Like, it just really, it runs the gambit for me. As a, as a musical theater girl, I am obviously in the, in the world of not only, uh, you know, Broadway, musical theater, singing, acting, whatever, but like the, you know, New York City, like gay world as well. The world with the homosexuals. I find that as a theater girl, I'm always, y'all can't see me, but I, you know, look like Liza Minnelli. And sometimes I can sing like Judy Garland. And so they just, I'm a fruit fly. They just flock. That makes sense. My life is richer and more beautiful and better for it. Um, And so that's, I think one of the main, you know, huge reason why this movie just calls out my name. Um, And it's just a huge bonding. It's this movie and Grease 2 for whatever. Yes, Grease 2. Really, really resonant, which we should do if you ever want to have a discussion about Grease 2. I mean, that that's also just another special special movie in my life um yeah I think I burlesque for me is first number one definitely Christina Aguilera's response to Britney Spears starring in Crossroads like Christina had to have like Mm. an iconic like Britney Spears has Crossroads and they even have that musical number in Crossroads where she's like karaoke I love rock and roll and I almost feel like, yeah, this is like Christina always has to kind of like match Britney. Yeah, ever since the Mickey Mouse days. Of course, yeah. So that that also, I feel like there's like a sprinkling of of that. And they're both coming of age, or not coming of age movies. They're both like movies of these like lost girls who are like finding themselves and everything. I have to say though, I feel like in every time that it's Britney does something first and then Christina comes Mm -hmm. a a little later and does it, Christina is the one that is remembered more because Crossroads is a joke through and through that is not, (laughs) I haven't, and like, I'm saying that and I haven't seen it. I know. Well, uh, Crossroads though, but I, okay. I don't think I'm a very good judge of, of, uh, of character, I guess, when it comes to movies like this, because do you also remember uh, the iconic movie Glitter starring Mariah Carey? (laughs) Do you remember this? Okay, I loved Glitter. And I walked out of the movie theater seeing Glitter being like, yes, Mariah, she nailed it. 
this movie is it. And <laughs> it's like the most universally panned movie of all time. So I could just def. I really didn't see anything wrong with that movie though. From start to finish, I was like, this is this is believable. Like I love this. So I I, I don't know if I'm like the best judge of character, but I also loved Crossroads. Well, I was gonna genuinely. say genuinely. I was gonna say it feels like burlesque reached a level of um, a level of notoriety amongst the um, cult status than mm-hmm. Crossroads did. I think it uh, has withstood the test of time better for sure, perhaps because it was made in 2010 versus Crossroads, which was earlier. Um, and a little bit more like Crossroads had more of like an indie vibe to it in a lot of ways. And I mean, burlesque has like, you have Cher, you have Christina Aguilera, you have Alan Cumming, you yes. have Stanley Julianne Tucci, Ho, Stanley Tucci, Kristen like Bell, yeah, Blitz, I mean, Tits, everything. Every, yeah, you have kind of like the whole package there. So I think it, this one was aimed to be more like commercially successful. I mean, don't get me wrong, because Crossroads had, you know, Zoe Saldana, it had um, like Taryn Manning or whatever. But yeah, this just is like a little bit more polished, I well, think. The, the reason why I think that Burlesque is more successful in the long run is because there were the, there are uh, drag <laughs> reviews <laughs> of it. Like they, yeah, there's a, there was a touring show in 2019 in uh, a British tour going on with pheromone starring as Alan. <gasps> no, are you joking? And Chad Michaels as Cher's character. <laughs> um, uh, wait a second. I, this is like obscure uh, uh, gay knowledge that I have was not even privy to. This is from Wikipedia, <laughs> bitch! No! <laughs> Once again, though, I'm sure, you know, my roommate uh, would, and ba- he's my best friend in the whole wide world, too, would definitely have, like, known that as well, though, because it's the world of drag and burlesque. I mean, you can't go wrong, honestly. Well, I'm going to be a little downer right now. I was going to okay. say this for later, but since we're in this world right now, I'm going to talk about it. In 2020, it was announced that there was going to be a Paper Mill Playhouse production of the show. So like Get a real out! stage version that was going <gasps> to move to Broadway. But thanks to Miss Rona, it got canceled. Okay, well, I actually have a lot of thoughts about that. Because as I was watching this movie, it kind of becomes clear that like you, you think I, I feel like they were aiming to turn this into a stage musical a la, you know, like Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but I actually, as I was watching this, I just didn't, I was like, this is not, even if they did try to make this into a stage show, burlesque has already been done before essentially, because it's, it's, it's cabaret, it's Chicago. It's already, I mean, it doesn't have anything that is like necessarily distinctive about it. Um, except there's too many storylines and there's not enough storylines going on. Yeah. And it's all tropes. I mean, the whole movie was obviously just made to like appease the masses who love like listening to Cher saying and listening to Christina Aguilera saying, and 
you know, like watching some girls be fabulous and Stanley Tucci, like sew buttons and shit, you know, but like, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't see it as like, uh, you know, having like necessarily having a viable path in terms of like a live show because it's already been done before. And the reason why this movie is so campy and amazing is because it is like classic tropes of like any movie is small. Like mm. even when it opens up, it's just like they show the small, the green screen of like the small town, Iowa. And there's, <laughs> Christina in the bar and she's in this one horse town and she's she's like I'm going to LA I'm gonna be a star and she like takes you know her cash and then goes to LA I mean it's just like ridiculous because it's all it's not an interesting story per se it's It's, like it starts at a 10 and it goes from there (laughs) exactly you know I I would say the only thing that really stands out to me about this movie in terms of the storyline is the the whole part about the air rights like how they oh get God. the club <laughs> like how the they air get rights. the air rights how they get the the club to uh or how they get enough money to like save the club by like buying or, or uh selling the air rights to this company like that was the only kind of like not plot twist but at, I was like oh you know because the whole time I was kind of like I actually don't see a way you know, I don't see how Cher is going to be able to like pull this off or save this club without selling it. And then the all of a sudden the fucking air rights uh, plot line comes in of like, you know, buying the air. And I was like, that is brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. And then and then there's a moment where Cher cut, you know, cuts a check for Peter Gallagher. And then he goes, where did you get this money? And she just goes, Thin air, (laughs) thin air, baby. Oh my, I was like, brilliant, brilliant. (laughs) But like, I didn't like that they. I mean, obviously, you want to cast a lot of names because you're trying to draw in different audiences. So you had like Peter Gallagher play a role that was only worried about money, and Mm -hmm. you have Kristen Bell, who was a little unknown at the time. Was she 2010? I don't think Frozen came out yet. No, but she was in. Um, she was in Read for Madness. For, uh, Ver- Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars. She was pretty big from that at that point, I think. But I did. I remember seeing the movie and like knowing who she was. But yeah, you're right. She wasn't like what she uh, is now. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't even know if she was married to Dax Shepard at the time or like any of that. And stuff. then you have Diana Agron come in for one scene. I know. I did read the trivia that she she filmed that scene in a day. <laughs> like like if you're gonna have a you're gonna have somebody who starred on glee for three years (laughs) and then had a recurring role on that show for another three years give her a little more to do okay but let's talk about the fact that uh like julianne ho who who is pretty fucking famous i have to say pardon my french i don't know if i can curse but like she's literally just like thrown in as like a featured dancer lip syncing to like diamonds are a girl's best friend like battling Kristen bell she's like an afterthought just like ellen cumming in this movie and you're like and i know julianne ho at the time was on On dancing with the stars Stars. right right and uh how funny is it that she the only scene that she gets of any meat is like the you know that she finds out she's she's pregnant she's like throwing up in the bathroom and like talking with chair about it uh, so she the, like literally has like an under five in this i'm like how did they just throw her in there as an afterthought along the, with Kristen bell the one scene that i was just like ooh, like this is when they're trying to act even Cher doesn't give a shit in this scene 
Mm-hmm. Sherry's just like, I'm just, I'm just saying words right now. <laughs> <laughs> I told the, you it's not a good share. <laughs> I actually, you know what though? I think that that was one of her strongest suits. Cher is just really good at like being a conversational actress. And I actually like, I really appreciate it. Cause I think it grounds the, I uh, loved intention. her and Stanley Tucci. Like they had, a, I love, their vibe is amazing. Like I, I have to remind myself Stanley Tucci is not gay. Every time. I know every time he plays this character, which obviously this is very like well, Devil Wears Prada. Is he though? <laughs> no, I don't, we never know, you know, cause he was an easy A and I was like, oh, you know, with like, with Emma, um, what's your face? And, uh, I was like, oh, he plays a very convincing, like, straight dad. But everybody, you know, knows him so much from Devil Wears Prada. And uh, then they just recreated this role for burlesque. So you're kind of like, is he? Because you are Cause, so cause good at he, being homosexual. Because he was with Meryl in that first one. And now he's in share with this one. Who's the next, like, gay icon that he plays gay next to? Yeah, I, I don't know, but I'm, <laughs> I will buy tickets. I'm first in line. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, when I, the first time I ever saw this movie was in 2010. Uh, uh, what was that? Junior year of college um, in Buffalo. Michael had to remind me of where we saw it first. <laughs> and I just remember being like, this is how my relationship was with with my best gay friend michael is i am the share to his stanley tucci i was i just remember Stop. watching this and being like that is literally our relationship in a nutshell and it's especially, especially that great. one moment where they're by the costume rack and she's like this has gotta go and you know they have it, it feels like an honest moment that was improvised <laughs> uh, yes exactly that that i feel like that's the majority of their relationship in this movie and i I love and appreciate how much fun they have with it. And I think all of, you know, the, uh, the fag hag fruit fly couples that went to see this movie in 2010 really, really appreciated that. And like it lifted this movie a lot to iconic status. So, okay. We talked about Julianne. Is it Ho? Huff? Ho? I, you know what? I don't know. I say a mix of both. It's actually funny you bring that up because I'm always like, Ho? <laughs> I think it's, Oh, like Julianne uh, Ho. I don't. Well, know. okay. So Julianne was not the only <laughs> Dancing with the Stars professional dancer in this movie. Yeah, there, wasn't there uh, that was, girl, the girl who played Anna, right? No, Tyne Stecklin, who played Jesse, and I think this was the girl that wore glasses. You know, there was that. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. the one who was like, "I lost my contact." Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> I believe. Oh. That's her, and she's another well, that was on Dancing with the Stars for like a, a season or two. Well, there's the, the, the whoever I forgot the girl's name that played um, Anna. I'd have to Paula look her name Van up. Van Oppen. Yes, she. There was some a bit of trivia about her where she gave up a top twenty spot in So You Think You Can Dance to be in this movie. She made the top what? twenty and gave it up to be. In, I mean, I listen. It's Cher it's and Christina Aguilera. It's way more money, but it's uh, an iconic moment in time with yeah. all these specific stars. Like, hell yeah, I would give that up. I didn't know that about her. I knew she was part of a girl group called GRL. Yes. Yeah. I read that too. I don't know anything about But then, like, <laughs> you have Chelsea Trial, who plays Coco, and Tani McCall, who plays Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Are, they're just dancer actresses as well. There's nothing of note but like Mm -hmm. Coco gets a lot of screen time in this movie 
She has like quite, I think she's got more than an under five in terms of how much she speaks. She's got more yeah, than, she, than Georgia, let's put it that way. You know, yeah, Julianne Huff. <laughs> but at the, but at this, I remember Coco's name mentioned a bunch, but this movie did a really good job. And actually, you know what? I think this is, uh, you can blame this on the director, on, on Stephen Anton, whom Cher hated, by the oh, way. Really? Hated. She was like, terrible director. He's a terrible director. He didn't develop their storylines at all. Like, no. that's why it feels like, you know, Julianne Ho and um, Kristen Bell and all of them are just like these sort of secondary characters thrown in. Because he just did not bring enough focus to that. Like, he didn't flesh them out at all. And I remember it took like... I've seen this movie probably like five or six times already. And uh, <laughs> it took at least like the second or third watch for me to like even notice that like, oh yeah, Coco is there. I didn't even know what, you know, Kristen Bell's name was. Like I was like, oh, it's Nikki, it's Nikki. And then jo- Georgia, like, and then, you know, in the uh, the song where Cher is singing, it's very, it's the um, Welcome to Burlesque song at the beginning, which is the very cabaret song where she's introducing uh-huh. all of the girls. You know, and she's like the trip and then here's the triplets. And there's these three like black girls who are dancing around. And I was like, I had this is the first time I'm even noticing that she's introducing these girls. <laughs> I had like no idea because oh, no. they, they don't even like give a close up on any of them ever. It's so weird. But like they come up close to share, which is they come close to share, which is their little introduction where she's like, and Georgia and like Georgia comes up to like her shoulder and she flicks the chin or whatever or am i I'm yeah. making it up i can't i don't remember she does no she does but it's all like they all do but it's like all very muddled and and you would think that if she's like introducing these girls that somehow they're going to you know play a, a bigger role later on in the film and they literally don't at all they're just kind of like they go future for pe- background they go for pizza and don't include Allie. exactly yeah that's that's like their job but there's never like except coco had like a close-up you know, once, but like besides uh, the pregnancy scene with Julianne Ho and then like, you know, Chris, Kristen Bell's various scene. Kristen Bell's the only one who like has some meat, you know, and everybody else is just like <laughs> thrown in there. Yeah, I equated Nikki's jealousy of Allie to like be parallel of Roxy and Velma in Chicago. Yes. But like, obviously well, Allie doesn't give two shits about it. She's just like, I'm, I'm doe-eyed and i just want a job tee hee but nikki's the one that is like clearly villainous especially when she pulls the plug on the music oh well you know especially because they made her a brunette so naturally she's the villain she's because the she's guy, yes. she's a brunette and then of course like julianne ho is a redhead so naturally she's the one who gets knocked up you see oh, that oh i didn't know that about redheads yeah because they're you know they made her like the slutty one and then of course like you can't have a blonde villain so like, in a tropey movie such as this one so they had Kristen bell be the brunette to to christina aguilera's like angelic blonde hair I fucking hated her hair by the way no i loved her hair are you kidding there was are you kidding me right now there was too much like it's per no i dream about her i think it, it's a wig too by the way oh, like yeah, we, we know that it's a wig but i i drooled over this hair i like i would talk about this hair for days i every time i pause i've taken screenshots of this of her of her hair before to try and like recreate it on my own hair i much prefer the the wig in the movie than the, the shorter wig yeah i, I like mean, I that loved- one 
I loved that one too. I thought all the wigs were on point. Cher's wigs were on point, but like, there's something about like Christina's like curly bang with the bangs. Like, oh my god, it's like painfully beautiful to me. I think it's so funny that you like. <laughs> you hated I, it. Well, there was some there was some scenes I hated it when it's too big. Where I'm like, okay, I get it. You're you're in a club, and obviously people are dragging you up and all that but I feel like after that moment that's when her hair is just way too big for her I you know what I don't know if this is just like because her face she's so petite obviously in real life like she's so tiny and I just I I loved like the big curly like and how like smooth and perfect it was I just thought it framed her face really well and the bangs really worked and like I would love uh, maybe it's just because that's hair that I would personally like love to achieve (laughs) on my own head but I don't know I just I like and her makeup too in this was like the the soft sort of shimmery you know look that she had Uh, like I loved I think this was Christina in her prime well this was at this was after obviously the ex Tina post dirty it's post dirty hi there everyone future John here while recording this episode Kim and I experienced some technical difficulties that's what you get for recording over zoom during a pandemic we left off with me making a point about when this is happening in Christina's career and now we're going to talk about some makeup you know that moment where Cher gives her the, like, the little makeup tips and the makeover and everything? Yes. Is that a real thing? Like, did you watch your mom do her makeup? Not me personally, but that's a trope. That's one of the many, many tropes in this movie, if you've noticed, where, you know, it, it's, that, it's that very, like, specific, like, mother-daughter sort of, like, you know, bonding. Mm-hmm. It's the moment where we're trying to forge a relationship between... Cher and Christina while simultaneously revealing that Christina of course is alone her her mother has died and her father is I don't even know if it was specifically said if he's dead or if he is not around and she doesn't have any aunts uncles cousins or siblings or whatever so she's alone but that is such a tropey film moment of just the elder woman coming in and like bonding with like the younger protege by like helping her you know, do her makeup. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's obviously could be grounded in reality, not like with my mother personally, but it's technically supposed to represent it like a rite of passage of, of, you know, a mother showing her daughter how to like do these womanly things. <laughs> well, uh, to segue off of that into Cher's costumes. <laughs> oh. Um, did you know Bob Mackie created like half of her wardrobe for her? Yeah, because she wore her own clothes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And of course, like Bob Mackie's her gay best friend. And, you know, he was always creating her stuff, obviously, like early on in her career, but then continued creating things for her. So most of the thing that, things that she wears in this movie are um, Bob Mackie designs. But Michael Kaplan is the costume designer of the movie. Just to Yes. Except in Bear's world, Bob Mackie is the costume designer. Yeah, <laughs> but he <laughs> uh, designed, like, if you look up his credits, he designed myriads of movies, including Blade Runner, Clue, and Seven prior to this movie. Oh. Um, and then after this, he would go on to do, like, the last trilogy of the Star Wars films. No big deal. Oh, my gosh. 
But okay, so I, I wanted to look up the shoes that she gets in the movie. The Louboutins. The Louboutins, yeah. <laughs> Michael Kaplan and Christian Louboutin actually collaborated to create a custom pair of shoes for this movie. They don't exist in the world. They're not, it's not a real shoe. It's specifically for this movie. Wow. The but tackiest it, shoes of all time. But it's funny because I watch this movie on Prime. And usually when I watch movies these days, I have uh, subtitles on just because <laughs> sometimes you miss something. And when people talk yeah. about the shoes, they don't, they, they didn't type out Louboutins. Mm-hmm. They typed out Louis Vuitton. I was like, are they Louis Vuitton shoes? <laughs> you know what? That is actually so interesting. Cause no, they're red bottom. So they have to be, they're, Louis they're... but I did notice a lot of the time sublet. Um, wow. Subtitles uh, will misunderstand or like, um, they, yeah, they won't, they won't properly interpret what is being said that happened actually uh, in the song tough lover in this movie. I watched the movie. I rewatched it through Peacock through that new uh, like movie streaming site. Cause it's for, it was free on there Ooh. and tough lover. They like translated the subtitle to being like to do like they thought that she was saying like to do or something like to do. But it's tough, blah, blah. but they're like muddling it so much that the, like subtitles literally couldn't like pick up what he's saying. But I wonder if it was copy if it was like a copyrighted thing, like they had to say like Louis Vuitton. No, it's it's because um some idiot thought they said Louis Vuitton. Maybe. <laughs> and it's like, no, you don't say Louis Vuitton, you say Louis. <laughs> you say Louis? Or Louis. You either say Louis Vuitton or you say Christian Louboutin. Louboutin. <laughs> but like they they say they say Louboutins. Well, or it brings up an interesting point uh, because there's two designers: is Louis Vuitton or and there's Christian Louboutin, and it brings up an interesting point of like w- what they actually meant. But you know, in the movie, I mean, the iconic shoes. If if it, Christian yeah. Louboutin, the red bottoms, and when she reveals the shoe inside, you see the sort of. They don't do a close-up on it, obviously, because probably copyright laws, but they you do they have the very specific, you know, Louboutin cursive on the inside of the of the shoe as well. So you know that that's what they were intending. But I feel like they could they could have shown the inside because he worked, like I said, they made a custom pair. So it's advertising in a way. Yeah, I guess you know what though, I noticed they didn't actually do like a close-up of the logo. Like they didn't do like a full close-up of it. They did a like a skim over of it skim. so <laughs> what if like what if louis vuitton designed these fake christian louboutins for the movie <laughs> but the, the thing because you know this this director too like if he couldn't get certain uh copyrights for for like the a lot of the songs like you know the Cee-Lo green song maybe he couldn't get the copyright for actual louboutins and he just had like <laughs> Louis Vuitton design for Louis Vuitton for Christian Louboutin. <laughs> this is some like Riverdale shit going on where they just alter the name a little bit. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is a lot. Kim, is there anything else you want to mention before we go into some other segments of the show? I don't think so. Well, let me see. Uh, I, I, I literally had notes written out because I wanted to make sure that I hit all of the, the things that I feel like the people really, really need to know people Um, yes 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 let's see i I wrote obviously it's an excuse for Cher to drop a brand new song which was this was (laughs) her first time 
when the movie came out in 2010, it was the first, what was it? it? Was it the first song she had done in seven years or the first movie she did in seven years? It was like one or the other. So this was like an excuse for Cher to just like drop some, I'm banging new music, by the way. That's, that's the first um, and then she would later go on to do Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Yes, yes, of course. Because um, every few years she's just got to like appear in some movie and like, you know, sing and then, and then she bounces again. Um, <laughs> one we didn't mention is when Christina Aguilar gets to the big city to LA and she's looking for a job. She's holding backstage, like the print copy of backstage, <laughs> and crossing off <laughs> the jobs as she's going. I nearly passed away. That was, and it's not like they didn't have internet in 2010 either. So, you know, she's got like the, the magazine and as though that's how it, it works, you know, as an actor singer, you just go, you just spend with, one day walking the streets and like going in and then crossing off like. With your newspaper. <laughs> yeah. As though that's how finding a job works in the performing world, whatever. We can, <laughs> but we can overlook that, I suppose. The mixed bag of music. Just loving that ray of light is included in this, like like all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, do you know what? I wrote Lu- the Louis Vuitton shoes in my notes. So I wonder if my subtitles also said Louis Vuitton. Because I, I, I Googled it. I, I, I went off my two sources. I'm sorry, Wikipedia and IMDb. <laughs> I had to go to another source. And there was like fashion blogs that said that it was Michael Kaplan working with Christian Louboutin. I so. I have to and that we're, we can just sum up once and for all that I think the subtitle companies just like messed up or they fucked it, up. yeah it was copyright. But the um that whole moment that the Louboutin shoes and like her um you know riding off in you know, in a, in the um, convertible with uh, Marcus Garvey with like the rich realtor and like her scarf falling off of her head and like blowing away. This whole moment was very showgirls. Um, this, this was the showgirls moment. Um, I don't know if you noticed this too, but how she gets the Christian Louboutin shoes, which are like super iconic, harkens back to the moment in showgirls, the very iconic moment when uh, Elizabeth Berkeley it has the Versace dress and she's at the elevators and um, what's his face? Kyle McLaughlin goes like, oh, I like your dress. And she goes, thanks, it's for Sace. <gasps> and nobody corrects her. Yes. And so this, the, this is a very like showgirls moment too. That's one of the most oh my God. iconic moments, I think. Okay, in, okay in I see it now. I see it, I see it. And then obviously the, the song Express is like the her is Christina's like Lady Marmalade moment. Um harkens yeah. back to that. And I did write that the um, you know, one of the only uh tropes that I think like classic like you know movie tropes from the late 90s, early 2000s that this movie is missing is that I feel like Chris it would have been meteor if Christina Aguilera was running away from Iowa because she was running away from an abusive ex or like an abusive, like not ex-husband, but maybe ex-boyfriend. And when she, the the moment when she shows up in the front page of the newspaper, you know, there could have been, he was like trying to find her and he knew he was, she was somewhere in LA. And then he picks up a newspaper and sees that she's on the front of this newspaper. And then he can like, he'll start trying to stalk her at the club. And then it turns into like a whole different movie where like the, you know, yes. 
Ender has to save her and like, and all this shit. I really think that would have added a whole <laughs> um, incredible layer to this movie. Maybe that's in the music, the stage version that um, Paper Mill was going to do. Maybe, you never know. If not, we can rewrite it and be like, Paper Mill! Yeah, maybe <laughs> we, can go, we can go back into workshop and we can make that suggestion to them because I think that that would be, that, that's a, a musical theater trope as well. So I think that would actually be super fitting for it as a stage show. But I really love the air rights plot too. So I really, <laughs> <laughs> we can have both. We, yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's go into my segment that I call Sharp and Flat. Sharp Flat. Uh, so in this, we're, uh, we ha- we're going to highlight some moments. Uh, whether we liked it, it's sharp. And whether we hated it, it's flat. Which, I have a feeling you have nothing for flat. But who knows? Oh, I have a couple of flats. You have a couple of flats? All right, let's start with sharps, though. Let's start with the good news. What are okay. your sharps? Um, Long John Blues, which we never, we have not discussed. Total sharp for me. Yes, the Bet- and, and it's a Bette Midler song. I didn't know that. It's Megan Mullally singing it. <gasps> what? I didn't know. You know, the, the whole time Kristen Bell is lip syncing to this song. And the first time I ever heard it, I remember immediately thinking, is that like Adina Menzel or something? Because it's a very nasal, very specific voice. And then Michael, whom I was watching it with, was like, oh, my God, that's Megan Mullally of Will and Grace fame. But more importantly, if you are in the world of musical theater or Broadway, you know her from like slaying in Young Frankenstein on Broadway where she sings and she has a phenomenal underrated singing voice. So that you have to go back and re-listen to that now, John, because oh my God. I, I just saw that because they credit Bed Midler for it. So I was like, did Bette Midler like do something with her voice or something? Or did she they, write it? They credited Bette Midler with they it? They credit Bette Midler with it, yeah. She wrote it. It's definitely, in the movie, it's definitely Megan Mullally singing it. So this looks like a job for the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> On it. And then obviously, like, just having Ray of Light in this movie, total <laughs> sharp for me. You're right. I just Googled it and it's on YouTube, Burlesque, Long John Blues, Megan Mullally. Yeah. But like Bette Midler did a version of it too. So maybe this is the version that Bette Midler did and Megan Mullally recorded it too. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But like, I cannot believe that Megan Mullally just did something so iconic and like walk and then just like (laughs) dropped and like walked away and nobody even. (laughs) Like, I feel like it was not talked about enough. That like Karen from Will and Grace sang this song that Kristen Bell is lip syncing. <laughs> I just I I needed to have more conversation like around <laughs> that, that that pop culture moment. And then sharp for me, yeah, Ray of Light, a definite sharp. I don't know about you. So <laughs> thrilled that that song is just thrown haphazardly into this movie. In a montage, uh, of course. In a montage, of course it is. It represents a montage. Oh, just oh, so good the tough lover moment when the curtain's going down and it seems like the world is ending and, and everybody has failed. And then Christina just starts belting out. And I was like, yes! <laughs> that is everything. For me, I wrote for Sharp, Kristen Bell's campiness. Um, mm. Cause she's so over the top and I love every second of it. And then in oh. all caps, I just wrote share. Stanley Tucci, because 
<laughs> of course. A definite, a definite sharp for me as well. Um, Alan Cumming working in the box office of this burlesque club. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, honey, wash your mouth out with Jägermeister or whatever he says. A definite sharp moment for me. <laughs> um, okay, so what are your flats? Oh, God. I mean, I don't want to drag this movie too much. Like... <laughs> because even the flats have sparkled to me, but let me see. Okay. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Like really? Yes. Because it's so like hearkening to Moulin Rouge that it, it, it almost feels like copy, like, or not copyright, um, plagiarism in a lot of ways. And it just is so overdone and doesn't like, you know, you could say that about a lot of moments in this, but, but those moments seem to kind of work. And the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Like, it's just in, it's the song that, like, everybody seems to include in their sort of, like, burlesque cabaret-ish, you know, mm, show. That's um, fair, yeah. It's, it's so over, like, we don't need that one anymore. I think it should have just stayed in Moulin Rouge. And then probably, I don't know if this was a flat, actually. That, the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend was really the only, like, big flat moment. And then I would have to say, like, in the very beginning, when she's just, like, quit her job, stolen money out of the cash register, which definitely, I guess it wasn't stolen because she was owed this money. And then all of a sudden is, like, barefooted and then sings, you know, something's got a hold on me, which is clearly just, like, a, a way to showcase Christina singing, like, right off the bat. And great, she sounds so good, like, great song. But the whole moment, I was just, like. But, like, she stole the money and then continued working. <laughs> Yeah, and she just stayed there to like sing to like practice practice this song or whatever. Oh, and I guess another a flat moment for me would actually be Alan Cumming as an afterthought in this movie. I think like if yes. you have Alan Cumming, utilize him. Don't just throw him into like, you know, Jungle Berlin and into that whole like dance number, which was just a way for them to further the plot. Like they were barely even focusing on him. He was just an afterthought in order have, to like further the plot. Have him sing a song. Have him have him do something more than just give me $20 and clean your mouth out with Jaeger. Yeah. And do you know what though? I mean, I'm sure this was also like his choice in a lot of ways to maybe only be like a cameo in this movie as opposed to an actual mm. part, but go with me on this. Love Stanley Tucci. Um, I think he makes this movie, but what if Alan Cumming had been Stanley Tucci's role? Or I hate to even say this, but you you fuse the you fuse the two to get two parts together, and you either have Alan Cumming or Stanley Tucci playing it. Yes. Uh, my my money's on keeping Stanley Tucci though. So you know, I do love his chemistry so much with Cher. So actually, that could could have worked too if they could have somehow figured out a way to like to have Alan Cumming working backstage more as opposed to just being like you know in the box office. Or we can have Alan Cumming on the stage version. So if we oh. fuse the two parts together, had keep Stanley Tucci in the movie, but Alan Cumming is in the, the stage version. <laughs> in a in an ideal perfect world. Um, yes. <laughs> but then it would just be cabaret all over again. And that's the thing. Like you can't have like Joel Gray, you can't have like Alan Cumming. You know, they cemented themselves in these very specific, you know, pop culture shows. You gotta bring in somebody new, I think, for for burlesque. So for my flats, unless you have any more flats. No. That? Okay, so Over. for my flats, I wrote Jack's pettiness and his existence. 
<laughs> we didn't really talk about it that much, but I, and I, I'm so sorry that we didn't, but like, he has a girlfriend. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Okay. If we're going, if we're going down that thread, absolutely. absolutely. So why, why is he jealous? If, if you, if you are watching this from like a balanced state of mental health, you will notice that he, this whole situation is like, in fact, it's not romantic. It's like pretty toxic. And I wouldn't trust him at all because no. like, imagine if you're the fiance, like she's out there in New York, like doing a show, trying to make shit work long distance. And, you know, they do hearken, they, 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 they say that, you know, she's was selfishly like, just talking about herself but she's the one that's doing something like new and different and you're just in LA like doing your bartending job and like not doing anything with your music so she's the one that has the interesting like stories and things to talk about but they make her it make it sound like she's like so selfish for but you know she has what like three lines in the entire movie yeah it's all through this like phone call so we're just expected to see her as the bad guy and Christina as like the, the girl who came in, who saved, you know, this guy from being in a bad relationship when really like I'm on the fiance side. Um, speaking of Diana Agron, the lack of her, I'd, I'd rather her be one of the girls, the one of the dancers and you hire a nobody, like a <laughs> literal, like, like you put it in your girlfriend or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Or... Yeah. Once again, another waste of, of, of talent. talent. Yes. I, you had a great scene, but you're, you're totally right. Like if you're going to put somebody, like I said, who was on Glee on and off for six years, which was, I mean, well, at this point, I think they were on year three or something, season three or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, she's got a, she's got a following. It's not as big as, Camp Cher or Camp uh, Aguilera, but she's got the Glee kids. Like, I think you're right. This would have been a really great role for like a, somebody who is kind of brand new. Like this would have been such a great like resume booster for somebody, some total unknown, you know? Like like, a, like Julianne Huff. Like if you wanted to, if she wanted to not be a dancer, I mean, they, <laughs> she's a dancing role, but she doesn't dance. So Julianne Huff. She, no, she... She does. She's a dancer. Yeah, but I mean, like, she doesn't really dance in this movie. She has one song and that's it. Like, I mean, she's always, this is the, what, what I'm saying about, you know, the director not doing any close-ups on these girls. Julianne Hupp is featured in every single group dance. Like, it, but you have to look for her. You, she's not like, there's no spotlight that's on her, yes. but she's every, the multiple group numbers that are in this movie, sort of superfluously, I have to say, kind of a flat, um, uh, you can tell the director all the director cared about was getting these like amazing you know dance numbers in but like maybe there's like two too many but Julianne Huff's in every one of them and then she's obviously featured in Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend so I think her talents lie there but like yeah I think that having somebody who's a complete like unknown coming in to be the fiance would be such would have been such a great like booster part for for that for their resume yes and then the other flat that I wrote, and this is how I wrote it. So please enjoy. Allie's bipolarness, being a ballsy broad to work at the burlesque, to, to working at the burlesque, to the naivete about Jack's feelings and how show business works. Yes. It's like, you got to be one or the other girl. You can't be ballsy and then not know what a, what, what a wig is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
uh, her ballsiness, I think is like supposed to come across as being this stubbornness. And obviously, so you're, if you're putting psychologically, if you're putting the pieces together of this part, you have this girl who has no parents. So she's had like zero guidance in her life mm-hmm. in any which way she's had to like figure everything out on her own, which means she's going to be like emotionally behind every other person, her age. She starts um, the movie angry because she's yes. not getting paid. Yeah. And so, but, but at the same time, she's, so I think it's supposed to come across as like, a, I've had to make my own way my whole life. And so I'm just going to like bulldoze, you know, through situations into things. But like, so the, the, the naivete is like, is, is one thing, but yeah, you would think that she would just be way more fucked up if like, if that were me, I mean, if I didn't have any sort of family or my mom died when I was seven or like, whatever, I wouldn't be way more fucked up than she is. Right, but like her character's all over the place and she's too innocent and but she's also ballsy and it's like Yeah, I I it's just like singing and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I understand like I guess what they were trying to go for. Um and I honestly I actually think Christina and Cher are like did a great job with acting through this. I mean obviously the script is like cheesy as hell and terrible, but like um I think for the most part, like they did a good job, but, but Christina definitely needed more direction in like the nuances of like her, the personality. Um, Kim, if you were in the stage version, who would you want to play? <gasps> Cher. Definitely. Definitely. Cause she's great. She gets the 11 o'clock number. This is as, mm, as a stage. I am like what is known as, you know, a character actress, or as I like to call myself a leading lady to the left. So I don't want to carry the entire show on my shoulders. I would still like to have like a significant part, but it has to have like, um, you know, a cork to it, like something meaty to kind of grab onto because I'm not going to be like an ingenue or anything. They usually just have like that one big number where everybody leaves the show and is talking about it. But for the most part, you're just kind of like sitting backstage, like, you know, hanging out and the pressure is really like not on you. It's on the leading lady i would have assumed you would have picked nikki personally no i mean not the way like Kristen. chris i love a villain don't get me wrong and i would love to really like go in the villain direction in my career that was another part that wasn't fleshed just like christina's character wasn't really fleshed out to the maximum that it could like nikki was not first of all she was like way too put together to be having so many like problems with alcohol and like even when she was late or she like sunglasses i'm like but you still look flawless anyway (laughs) but um it's like one of the most important aspects of this is that i cannot dance um so i want to be share Cher gets to like open up the show in the beginning. She's got the meteor acting roles, which is what I would want. She has Welcome to Burlesque, which is like really fierce. And then she has, you know, um, You Haven't Seen the Last of Me, which is like amazing. And that's, th- that would really, and then she gets to all the, all the, the media acting parts and that's it. That's what I, I want. I feel like in the stage show though, they should add another song for her. I'm sure that, I'm sure that they would, but yeah, I know that if Nikki has to be one of the dancers it ain't gonna be me honey. <laughs> and I, uh, now i'm at the age i mean i'm 30 now, so i'm gonna be like i'm turning into like a matriarch figure as opposed to <laughs> you still look like you could play 17 so <laughs> you're so sweet thank you I... not with the chest that i have though because if you have breasts in this industry um 
Godspeed. Oh, Good luck true. because you're obvi- you're a mother if you go above like a C cup in this in this industry. <gasps> anyway, <laughs> would, <laughs> uh, would would you add any of the songs from the movie to your life's playlist? I mean, I have half of these on my Spotify that I'll listen to like on a regular, but. Um, in terms of like emotional connection, I would say <laughs> this wouldn't even be emotional connection. This, this is a lie, but I love Long John Blues. I think that 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 it was it's so funny, even though I'm not, you know, we know what it's what it's indicating, wink, wink, and that's not really like in my vibe. But yeah, I'd say like you know, you, you haven't seen the last of me would be is is probably the, the really it and the one that I listen to the most and I, the one that really would my life. I put down some bops. I put Wagon Wheel Watusi just because, <laughs> just because that song is like, you know, like, okay, we're going to walk around and it's a nice day no matter what, even if it's like pouring out, it's a nice day. And John, uh, I could really see you like dancing to that song <laughs> too, just kickball changing all over the this bitch. I may have while I rewatch this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also put down, but I'm a good girl because... That song yes. is hilarious, and I, it is <laughs> so funny. It's so funny, and and then though the song is only in the credits, beautiful people. Oh my gosh, yeah. That, I always forget about that one actually, and um, you know what, R- Ray of Life, it, or Ray of Ray Light, of light. <laughs> Ray of Light gives you life. <laughs> yes, Ray of Light gives me life. <laughs> Well, Kim, we've reached the end. Do you have anything you want to plug or promote? Yeah, I mean, I could probably I could probably talk about this movie for like the next eight hours straight. But um, yeah, in terms of like plugging or promoting anything, I mean, wear a mask. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Stay safe. Wear a mask. I am. I'm going to actually be on another uh, recording, another podcast um, at some point this month. Um, I have two friends who uh, are, they, they're Hungarian, actually. I met them when I was doing a show. They're sisters, and they have a podcast called The Butterfly Effect. But here's the catch. It is, until this point, it's been all in Hungarian, even though they're fluent in English and Hungarian. And uh, this year, they're going to start doing some, um, some English podcasts, and uh, I'm going to be one of their first English speaking guests. And I'm so excited. Um, it's just a, it's essentially like a wellness podcast. It's a podcast about like, you know, mental health and, and, uh, oh. and well. Um, yeah. So I'm very looking forward to, to that. And that'll be coming up at some point this month, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. So. And, and you're also going to be uh, talking about burlesque in that episode. Yes. I- I'll probably mention this podcast because they'll be like, you know, oh, have you ever, you know, recorded a podcast before? And I'll be like, well, let me just tell you about the last one that I did, which was also subsequently the first one I ever did. Yeah, well, I think that one will come out before this one. So (laughs) (laughs) I I can't wait to see how you patchwork quilt this episode together, considering the technical (laughs) difficulties that I have experienced in the few hours. It's going to be interesting. If you guys want to reach out and talk about burlesque with me and then subsequently Kim. Uh, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at buttersongpod. 
Um, you can tell us, tell me what you think about this episode. Tell me what you thought about the technical difficulties if they lasted in this episode. And on the next episode, I'm going to be talking about Porgy and Bess. Kim, this was lovely. When we get, when we can figure technology out, maybe we can do another episode together. That would be so amazing. I mean, the the sky's the limit, really, with like you know, um, just musical episodes of TV shows, all like the the cult classic movies, Grease Two, which I'm ready. For. <laughs> I mean, next time maybe we can do a show that uh, do a movie, the movie version of a show you've been in, so you can give some like tips. Amazing, actually. The first one that popped in my head was Fiddler on the Roof. So maybe go down that rabbit hole. Ooh. Well, let's <laughs> wagon wheel Watusi out of here, Kim. <laughs> Bye Thank for you now. So much, Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Bye for now. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.